One of the things that we found with, with most of these super centenarians, people who live to 110 years and beyond, is that they won a genetic lottery that the rest of us just don't have. And their relatives are 17 times more likely to make it to 100 than the rest of us, too. So it's an inheritable genetic mutation. But for the rest of us, lifestyle makes up 90% of our health risk and longevity. And that's where most of us need to focus. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Has your metabolism slowed down so much that you are not exactly sure how to switch it back on? Well, what if I told you there are powerful strategies that you can implement to not only boost your metabolism, but also increase longevity? Within each of us is an ancient mechanism that eliminates toxic materials, initiates fat burning, and protects cells from becoming dysfunctional or even turning cancerous. It's called cellular autophagy. Autophagy is the body's way of cleaning out damaged cells in order to regenerate new, healthier ones. Autophagy is an evolutionary self-preservation mechanism through which the body can remove the dysfunctional cells and recycle parts of them towards cellular repair and cleaning. The purpose of autophagy is to remove debris and self-regulate back to optimal smooth function. Your cells are recycling and cleaning at the same time, just like hitting that reset button on your body. Plus, it promotes survival and adaptation as a response to various stressors and toxic accumulation inside of the cells. When we are able to turn on cellular autophagy, we literally slow down the aging process. It can optimize biological function as a whole, help to stave off all manner of diseases, and affording us the healthy lifespans we never thought possible. It's the body's ultimate switch to life. So how can we positively activate this switch to longevity? Well, I've brought on James Clement, a leading researcher and author of The Switch, to share exactly how to do it. But before I bring James on to share his groundbreaking research on how to initiate cellular autophagy and repair in the body, I want to take a moment and celebrate your wins. Every day, I hear from new listeners who are recommended by you. One such listener is Andrea. She reached out to me on Instagram and shared her big win. Here's what she had to say. Dr. Marisa, I know you normally share information on lifestyle and hormone issues, but your episode on creating your perfect day was exactly what I needed. I'd never thought about what it would be like to create or live my perfect day, and I felt like you gave me permission to create it. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Andrea. And sharing your epic win, I can completely relate. Creating my perfect day was such an eye-opening experience, and I am so grateful that I did that incredible work and got it on paper. Now, if you're listening, Andrea, I would love to gift you a signed copy of my book, The Essential Oils Hormone Solution. Just reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram, at Dr. Marisa. Now, if you're listening... First, welcome to this episode. Now, if you want to check out the episode that Andrea mentioned and you are ready to create your perfect day, it was episode 155. 
The goal for that episode at the beginning of this year was really to help create 2020 vision for this year and beyond. And I think the best place to start is knowing exactly what you want in your everyday life and then getting clear on what you don't want in your everyday life. I literally map out the entire exercise in episode 155. It's absolutely worth taking a look at and even doing the exercise, even if we're already further into the new year. Now, if this podcast has helped you in any way, I would love to shout you out too. You can reach out to me via Instagram, Facebook, or by simply reviewing this podcast on iTunes or whichever podcast platform you are plugging into. That way I can continue to support more women who are looking for answers and ready to become the CEO of their health. Now let's dive into this incredible conversation with James Clement, but first I want to sing his praises. James is a lawyer and entrepreneur turned research scientist who has devoted the last two decades to understanding the science of life extension. He is best known for his super centenarian research study, which started in 2010 with Professor George Church of Harvard Medical School, and it has received international press coverage. James focuses on advancing cutting-edge biochemical discoveries. He is the founder of the nonprofit Better Humans Biochemical Research Organization. So let's welcome him on. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. James, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, it is so wonderful to have you on the show. I'm so excited to talk about one of my favorite areas in really is cellular repair and what we can do with nutrition. And I know it's, we're going to go even deeper into that, but kind of just the, the framework of how to truly heal the body on a cellular level, because I believe that, that all disease is cellular. And I know that you're probably finding that in your research as well. Now, before we get into activating our cells repair process, really for better health, for better longevity, I would love to hear your story and what really inspired you to go from a lawyer to a scientist over the last several years and really focus on how to heal our bodies on a cellular perspective. Sure. I actually found out about the field of longevity my third year of law school, uh, 1982, when a book by Dirk Pearson and Sandy Shaw called Life Extension, A Practical Scientific Approach came out. And I was ready to finish law school and immediately go into a molecular biology PhD program. And my family and my wife and everyone said, are you nuts? So I decided to, uh, to learn about these things on, on the side, on my own. And I literally bought textbook after textbook about molecular biology and read articles. And then in the early 2000s, uh, my parents were getting into their late 60s and I could start to see the signs of aging in them. And I decided uh, I wanted to really learn a lot more about this. So I started going to medical and scientific conferences. I started reading papers and Related to this, about 2013, I decided that calorie restriction, having been the most well-documented anti-aging intervention, but also seemingly related to things like fasting, prolonged and intermittent, protein restriction, ketogenic diets, I wanted to take a really deep dive and learn whether these were 
all similar. In other words, they had a mechanism of action that was the same or that they were different. And therefore, if you combine them, say reduced your calories, but also restricted your protein, also did occasional fasting and focused on a ketogenic lifestyle, would that all be additive and possibly even longer health span and lifespan? And I, I didn't see a lot of papers that just explained that this was or wasn't the case. So I, I spent about a year reading just about these topics. In total, a little over 2,000 papers. I wrote about an 80,000-word summary of it all and made a presentation to two professors at Harvard Medical School that I've been working with on a different anti-aging project with, the Supercentenarian Project. And, uh, and both of them said, we really think you're onto something. And one of them was David Sinclair, the other, uh, George Church, the person who wrote the foreword to my book. And um, David's the one who said, you know, I, I really think this is important information. Instead of just writing scientific papers, why don't you write a book so you can explain this to everyone, including doctors and patients? And so you did. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> and it's called the switch because what you really found, and I would love to hear kind of the full premise. I've had a chance to take a look at the book. I haven't fully read it just yet. It is at my house at the moment. But what you really discovered was how to ignite your metabolism, but also how to prolong longevity through fasting, protein cycling, and even keto. Did you find that the three had the same type of mechanism? Yes, they overlap in very common ways, but particularly in that they all inactivate the switch and cause the switch to go from a growth mode into a repair mode. I'm happy to talk about what the specifics and what that really means, but the answer is they use the same mechanism of action. Hmm. So talk to me about this metabolic switch that you discovered. So basically, and in really the difference between growth mode and then repair mode, repair mode, really allowing our cells to slow down that progressive aging, or is it just that it to slow down any type of like damage that could be happening with the cell? Go into a little bit more details on, on what you're finding in terms of that metabolic switch. Just for the audience's sake, metabolism refers to the chemical processes that go on inside our cells, basically that maintain all of our life processes. And in order to really understand it, you have to look at our evolutionary history. Sometime billions of years ago, bacteria developed a process that allowed them to hunker down whenever the nutrients that they would normally need to live, make proteins, and reproduce weren't available. And those that developed this process survived, and all life on Earth, basically, that we know, plants and animals, have this process. It's called TOR in uh, lower organisms, which stands for target of rapamycin. And in higher organisms like mammals, it's called mTOR, originally stood for mammalian target of rapamycin, but we later found it in non-mammals and just vert in, uh, invertebrates in general, so that it was changed to mechanistic target of rapamycin. It basically allows the cell to go from a normal fed state 
referred to as the anabolic mode, to a hunker-down state where it's able to turn on a process called autophagy, which in Latin means self-eating. And this process, metaphorically, is like little garbage trucks going around the inside of your cell and selectively picking up misfolded proteins and high free radical producing or dysfunctional mitochondria and taking them to a recycling center, which is called the lysosome, where they're basically broken down into constituent parts. Some of those are sent away as waste material and others are recycled in the cell to make new proteins. So whenever nutrients weren't available, the cells would shift to this mode. So they would basically, when we had a lack of nutrients, our cells would shift to a mode where they could clean, clean up shop, basically, and decide whether what stays and what we can actually use for the benefit of the cell. That's exactly right. And these misfolded proteins and free radical producing or otherwise dysfunctional mitochondria are at the heart of most of the diseases that we see people getting with age and are very much tied into the fact that current lifestyles keep the switch in the anabolic state all the time, 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year for for people's practical lifetimes now. Whereas historically, you know, evolutionarily, humans and early humans all had this catabolic state turning on nightly. So it would be on almost every night for some period of time. And then on extended periods, when they would undergo famine from, you know, a harsh winter, they can't get out, it's freezing, droughts, all of the different things that would keep us from eating the most satisfying high energy foods that we could get. And so our bodies would go into this, or the, our cells in particular would go into this state in order for, I mean, survival or an, an ability to be able to function when we're not getting the type of nutrition that we needed. But clearly we don't have that issue anymore. We can literally go to a grocery store pretty much 24 seven. And so what has that done? I know you talk about the t- diseases of civilization. Can you speak to the way in which we're living today and how that's impacting our longevity or what you have found in your research? Sure. So for most of human history, there were two things. Most of our carbohydrates that that humans would have eaten would have been in the form of what we got out of the intestines of animals we killed, out of um, tubers that we could dig up out of the ground and grasses, and infrequently seed from various plants that you know would be available only for a month or, or two out of the year. And those are really the high energy food products. And somewhere around eight to 11,000 years ago, humans started cultivating these seeds. But if you look into even that history, it wasn't dispersed around the world instantly the way we you know, uh, share knowledge now. So in places like the United Kingdom and Scotland, for example, they really didn't go from a hunter-gatherer society to a primarily agricultural society until about 2,000 years ago. So it's, it hasn't evolved into our the way our cells operate in such a short period of time. And even worse is that in the past 150 years, through science and technology, we've had the ability to make 
really highly processed and refined foods, particularly these carbohydrates, we found ways of refrigerating and shipping all over the world food products of all kinds from animal products and dairy to fruits and vegetables and particularly grain products, which, which store very well. So the availability of these on a year-round basis skyrocketed, plus the industrialization of food distribution, i.e. grocery stores. Even my grandparents only you know a short time ago were growing most of their own vegetables, eating livestock out of their own farm. Less than 100 years ago, 60% of the population in America worked on farms. So life has really changed dramatically in the past 150 years. And some of this is to our health detriment. Yes, it is. Because really, we're consuming highly processed foods pretty consistently. And we have seen in the last 150 years, or even in the last 100 years, a major uptick in chronic diseases, such as cardiovascular disease, diabetes, cancer, autoimmune conditions. And really, a lot of those conditions weren't as prevalent 150 years ago. Absolutely. And you can even find foragers around the world now, whether it's uh, the highlands of Papua New Guinea or above the Arctic Circle, that you know they're far enough away from picking up a phone or an app and uh, ordering food or hopping in a, a vehicle and running to the grocery store or convenience store whenever they're out of something, that they're living a lifestyle that's more like humans lived you know, throughout our history, and they have none of these diseases. You rarely find hypertension, high blood pressure. You rarely find cancer. Alzheimer's is relatively unknown. And levels of diabetes and and, uh, obesity is extremely rare as well. I can believe that. Absolutely. So, and, and not a lot of those civilizations are around. So I know that that's been an area of your, I know your focus too, slightly different, but that you were looking at super... Um, centarians in your research. And I don't know if we're even going to have a little bit of time to go into that. Um, but wh- where you were studying super centarians, were these also areas where food, although maybe food was still readily available, they still had a lot of tradition of, you know, keeping food very simple, wasn't processed when you were looking at super centenarians? Well, that's mostly true because I went around the world for a couple of years meeting people who were 106 years and older, collecting blood samples. We whole genome sequenced them. I was greatly assisted by Professor George Church at Harvard Medical School. He's one of the top geneticists in the world. And he was the first scientific advisor to come on board this project. And one of the things that we found that protected them was not just the fact that, you know, they were Many of the ones I, I met uh, you know, 10 years ago when I was doing this collection were born in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and therefore most of them ate vegetables out of the garden and didn't you know, run to a grocery store, didn't have restaurants where they lived, etc. But primarily, researchers like Nir Barzilai, Tom Pearls, and Stuart Kim have all found that they have genetic mutations that basically turn down this switch through a loss of function mutation as opposed to through lifestyle. 
So some of these people, like even the longest lived woman that we know about, Jean Calment, who lived to 122 years of age, you know, she ate chocolate, uh, apparently about two pounds of it a week. And some of these individuals smoked and, and did other things. So she was just lucky, genetically lucky. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Genetically lucky for sure. And that's certainly one of the things that we found with with most of these super centenarians, people who live to 110 years and beyond, is that they won a genetic lottery that the rest of us just don't have. And their relatives are 17 times more likely to make it to 100 than the rest of us too. So it's an inheritable genetic mutation. But for the rest of us, lifestyle makes up 90% of our health risk and longevity. And that's where most of us need to focus. Let's switch gears to that and talk a little bit about given how things have shifted, given that we absolutely do have an app where we can order food pretty much any time during the day and so much of it is highly processed. What are some of the lifestyle changes specifically around nutrition? Because I have a feeling that's where you're, a lot of what you're looking at basically how to get our cells to turn on, to really focus on apoptosis, to really focus on on self-healing and repairing versus growth. What are some things that we can do? I know that you've studied a lot of intermittent fasting, protein cycling, and keto. Is it necessary for us to do all three? Could we do one of the three or two of the three? What have you found to be the most beneficial and really the easiest when it comes to making these, these switches? I tried to write the book in a way that we do offer options, that if a person finds it easier to just say switch to a low protein, less high energy carbohydrate diet, like become a low glycemic vegan, for example, and they think that would be a pretty easy switch for them, then we tell them how to do that. If a person wants to lead like a ketogenic lifestyle, eating higher types of uh, healthy fats, and cut cut back on carbohydrates. There's a way of doing that as well. Even going paleo and even a carnivore diet, you can turn this switch off and on because it is important to have this switch turned on at times as well by these lifestyle choices. Personally, I find that restricting the hours of a day in which I eat to be the easiest thing to do. And there was just a paper that came out a couple weeks ago it was you know, paid for by the National Institute of Health. Very top-level scientists that worked there uh, basically said, if you eat only within an eight-hour window every day, your, your health benefits will be dramatically increased. And this is because overnight you fast and you fast for a longer period when you stop eating at, let's say, six o'clock at night and you've started at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, that eight-hour window means that you're now going to fast for 16 hours a day. And that's enough to deplete your glucose levels sufficiently to turn this switch from the anabolic to the catabolic state and to go into at least a shallow version of autophagy where you're getting rid of some of the mitochondria and misfolded proteins on a nightly basis. So that's a great way of starting is skip breakfast, stop eating around six or seven o'clock and adjust your, the times when you're allow yourself to start eating so that it's about eight hours or less. 
I mean, I've read so much research on intermittent fasting and having just kind of that eight hour window and the benefits. I know we don't go into full autophagy, but we are able to break, break some of the, you know, damage mitochondria down, damaged other pieces of, of toxins or whatever may be going on in the cells. And I would absolutely agree with you. I do love of all of the approaches, whether it's protein cycling or keto, intermittent fasting is definitely one of my favorite ways in which to educate my readers and patients. Um, it's something that we do in our household. So we, we have an eight hour window of eating ourselves and we, we go 16 hours a day of fasting. That's terrific. You know, you can vary this based on your lifestyle. I know that a lot of people are over what's considered a healthy BMI. And they'd like to get their body fat levels down to a, you know, a healthy range. And I've had lots of friends ask me about this. And I think the easiest thing for people to do is to break into this ketogenic diet lifestyle. They can switch in and out of it, cycle in and out of this keto, but just turning it on even infrequently allows your body to relearn how to burn fat. Because when you keep high energy carbohydrates in your system all the time, you're always storing fat. You're never burning it. And your, your cells basically become habituated to burning glucose. And therefore, when you maybe go without glucose for just a few hours, your body tells itself, oh, I'm running a little low on energy. I'm going to crave these high energy foods and and you're going to want to have, you know, that bagel or, you know, a glass of orange juice or something that's going to boost your energy levels again, simply because your body's not used to just quietly switching over to burning fat and not bothering you with hunger pains and, and cravings. Mm. So even recommended making sure that you are in keto, but to be in keto sometimes so that you really retrain your body to burn off fat that you recommend. And would you just do that along with intermittent fasting? Would that be, I mean, even in that eight hour window to switch on and off with keto? I still do that. I have for mostly ethical reasons. I'm a, I'm primarily a vegan. I do, I do go into pescatarian mode when I want Tor turned on and I, and I want to build up muscles and refresh my stem cells and keep my immune system up. But the rest of the time, I pretty much stay in a vegan ketogenic state. So I, I have a lot of nuts. I uh, consume really healthy plant-based oils. And I don't mean like the grain-based soybean oil or corn oil, but more like macadamia nut oil and olive oil. And I, I think avocados are, are a great source of, of fats. And even avocado oil is good to drizzle on foods. But being in that state, I can skip meals, in fact, for a day or two at a time. And I never feel like I've, you know, I've kind of hit a brick wall. I don't get these absolute hunger cravings or anything like that. I'll sort of like, you know, maybe I'll skip meals all the way to 6 p.m. And I'll think like, oh, I haven't had any food today because I've been so busy. And then, you know, I can decide, well, I'll just, I'll just wait and eat tomorrow you know, I'll make this a complete prolonged fast for a whole day, or maybe even a couple of days. Or, you know, if I'm already like at the bottom of my healthy range of, of uh, fat storage, I'll, uh, you know, make sure that I do eat. 
So it's it's sort of based on where you stand as to what decision you might make at that point. But the the hunger part is uh, is generally not an issue. And I found so many people that said, "Man, I was hungry all day long. I couldn't wait until my snack, you know. And if I ran out of food, I'd rush to a convenience store and grab something." And once they've started doing keto, uh, they say, you know, I'm just not hungry anymore. I eat food because I need to eat food, but not because I'm just craving it and feel like I'm going to be miserable if I don't eat something. Yeah. Well, it's so true because we're not, our, our bodies are retrained to actually burn down the fat that we have versus if we're just fueling on glucose, we are constantly needing to run that through. So no surprise when people are just like, oh my God, I'm going to, I need something right now. And when those glucose reserves drop, although I know we even do store glucose reserves inside of the liver, that's a a different conversation. Our liver and muscles only store a total of about 880 calories worth of, of energy. And you burn that up even in a very inactive day in less than 12 hours. So your body's constantly asking for more of that energy and your body wants to store fat because normally we humans would go through long periods, whether it's drought or a freezing winter and, and, you know, it's just been particularly harsh. So humans, you know, would experience months of very scarce eating and be just fine. That makes so much sense how, how things have just changed for us. Um, the last question I wanted to ask you, you know, as we're, you know, kind of getting a better understanding of how we can go into that cell repair mode, longevity, but also how we can help to support our metabolism um, is, and I think you answered this a little bit, but from what I'm hearing, everyone doesn't necessarily need to follow the same diet. It's really just figuring out what is right for them. And I know you give so many wonderful, you know, examples and recommendations inside of the book. Can you speak on, you know, I know that you've worked with a lot of people. Are diets very varied? It just really depends. This metabolic switch is in all of us. And we know that our longevity requires this switch to be turned on on a regular basis, or else our cells are going to become dysfunctional because they're full of misfolded proteins and our DNA is going to get damaged from the free radicals that the mitochondria are producing. So we have to turn this on to keep healthy. And if we don't, we do that at our peril. And unfortunately, this isn't something that's widely known. So when people hear about some of these diets, mostly the benefit of the initial benefit of switching to any other kind of diet is it's sort of that it's an exclusion. Most of these diets are an exclusion of these high energy carbohydrates. And just by getting rid of the high energy carbohydrates, you put your body back into this mode where you're switching back and forth between the anabolic and catabolic states more naturally. And of course, the more you know about it and the more that you actually do this purposefully, the the better off you're going to be health-wise. That makes so much sense. James, thank you so much. Tell us really quickly the name of the book. I have it in front of me as well. And I believe you can get it on Amazon and anywhere books are sold right now. That's right. Uh, Simon and Schuster are the publishers. The title is called The Switch. I had a fantastic uh, co-author, Kristen Loberge. George Church was kind enough to write the foreword to the book. 
And it's pretty much available in Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, and certainly on Amazon. Audible as well. Oh, great. Awesome. It's on Audible as well. Well, James, it was such a pleasure to have you today. Thank you so much, not only for writing this book, but really for continuing to do this so much, this much needed research. And I am just sending you so much good energy around the new research and your new laboratory, because I know that there's really more incredible research to come. Thanks so much, Dr. Snyder. I really appreciate your inviting me and for your disseminating great information like this as you do on your podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much. As you heard me mention during the interview, intermittent fasting is something that I have been doing throughout the entire 2019 and 2020 with amazing results. When I was diagnosed with Hajimoto's, an autoimmune condition, I knew that I needed to focus on mitochondrial repair and cellular longevity. So I started to dig into the research and I am full on board with what James has discovered because it's so much of what I have read as well. Now, if you're interested in intermittent fasting, but also concerned about your hormones, that it may throw off your hormones, I have written an entire blog that addresses the concerns along with a blueprint on how to get started. I also want to invite you to check out James's new book because it goes into so much of the research in detail on how to reverse aging through diet. It's called The Switch, Ignite Your Metabolism with Intermittent Fasting, Protein Cycling, and Keto. Now, the links for the blog and James's new book, The Switch, is in my show notes for episode 163 or to my website at drmarisa.com slash podcast, where you can pull up that episode and grab all of the links for the show notes. I want to say thank you so much for stopping by and listening into the Essentially You podcast. On the next episode, I'm coming back with an entire episode on how to reset your hormones and jumpstart your metabolism with a detox. I've been working for weeks to prepare this amazing episode for you. I can't wait to share everything I've learned and to provide a solution that will change your life. Until then, have an amazing day. 